When I was um, young, I did a bit of bushwalking and for those of you who know me now, you'll know that I've got over that. But um, one time my father and I decided to do a fairly epic walk from Tidal River across to Sealers Cove and back. Now, if you're familiar with that walk, it goes up and over the Mount Oberon track and then down to Sealers Cove and back up again. And as we were coming back on this particular day, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. I'm not sure whether it was spring or autumn, probably autumn. Uh, no wind at all. And as we were walking back, we were trudging our way home, you might say. And as we were descending down towards the Mount Oberon car park, Another hiker we'd not met along the way, just some random kind of person, walked just off the track a little bit up to what was known as Windy Saddle. Now, normally if there was wind, it would channel the wind right through that saddle, but this particular day, no wind whatsoever. And uh, he was just overcome by the exuberance of the moment, by the beauty of the space, by the magnificence of the scenery, and he stood up there and burst out in Shakespearean splendour with words that echoed across this great amphitheatre. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. And we who were a little further down the track heard this echoing and I'm kind of guessing that um, 65 years or so ago when Dad was at Beechworth High School, Shakespeare may not have been high on the radar of what they did. And so uh, although those of you who will know anything about Shakespeare will know that in that speech by Mark Antony, the next lines are, I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. My father didn't echo that back. In his very best bass voice, he echoed, what do you want him for? And in that moment, I just remember us falling about laughing at the incongruity of that situation, of this person who was bursting with exuberance and just cried out, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. And this ochre kind of such a typical Australian response that went back and uh, it has echoed for me through the years and it raises a question for me when is the last time you have done something exuberant like that when is the last time I've done something exuberant something unexpected something out of the ordinary we're going to reflect on that question as we come to our passage from Mark chapter 14 today it's a story that's getting very close to the end of Mark's Gospel and certainly as we approach Easter, uh, an important story in the Easter narrative. Let me read it for you. It's Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. Now the Passover feast and the feast of unleavened bread were only two days away and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to uh, rest Jesus and kill him but not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were indignant, saying to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's worth of wages and the money could have been given to the poor and so they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them any time you like. 
but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to, de- to betray Jesus. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let's pray and ask God to lead us as we spend some time dwelling in his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you do speak to us and Holy Spirit, we invite you this time as we gather to speak through your word. It's a living word, it's an active word, it's alive in us, Lord, as, uh, as you move. Give us insight, we pray, encourage us, challenge us and grow us to become more like Christ, we ask, for we ask this in your name. Amen. That little story that I told you at the start about the guy there on Windy Saddle has stayed with me over the years for two reasons. One, of course, was because of the sheer incongruity of it, uh, this moment of family history, I suppose, in a way. But there's another reason that that it stayed with me as well, and that is this guy just got up there and did that and didn't care about what others thought. He was totally oblivious to the fact that there were possibly even other bushwalkers in the area and even if he had been it would appear that he just did not mind he just went for it he just enjoyed the moment he indulged something deep in his soul something that just burst out of him that uh, he needed to do and so did and it challenges me because you know as I get older I think I take more and more precautions I spend more and more time minimising risk. I surround myself, I even try and surround my family and this is probably true for many others with protection so that no bad things come against us. We put a lot of effort into making sure we've got our insurance lined up and our income is safe and our homes are protected. Uh, We spend our adult lives minimising risk. We try to make sure there'll be nothing that happens that will... Uh, take us by surprise and doing extravagant things, doing exuberant things, doing things that just take us in the moment is kind of not part of who we are, is it? I was thinking about this just as I was preparing a few moments ago, a year or so ago as we approached Easter. Uh, Some of you know this story. The young adults asked me to be part of one of their evenings and so uh, the plan was very simple. It was to uh, gather here and then they were going off to find certain things around town and I was to hide somewhere in the church building. Now I've got to tell you, finding somewhere to hide in this church building when you're my size, it's not so easy. And so while they were all out, I managed to kind of twist my way into the inlet duct for our heater. And I've got to tell you, it was one of those moments where I thought, what am I doing really? I mean, I'm not kind of shaped to fit into the inlet duct, inlet duct of a heater. And of course they all came back, they were searching everywhere, where's the pastor, where's Hodjo, all this kind of stuff. And I was having a great time but I've got to tell you, I was thinking, what have I done? That moment of exuberance where I said yes to this, when I thought, yeah, I can do that, I was going to pay for that because I had to get out of that inlet duct somehow. And I had a couple of chocolate rabbits in there with me, which was good, I could have survived in there for a couple of days, but I was going to have to extricate myself 
from that inlet duct, probably in front, as it turned out, of about um, 80 of our young adults. So, uh, you know, sometimes we think, why did I do that? Why did I take that step of exuberance? But this story that we have here from the Gospel of Mark is one of pure, unadulterated exuberance, isn't it? It's an action that just comes out of nowhere. It's an action that is done without consideration to what others might think, without care what others might be considering, without worrying about what others might even say. In terms of the flow of the Gospel, if we put it into context, very interesting chapter. It's an interesting chapter because at the start of the chapter we have the religious leaders looking for a way to arrest Jesus and have him killed. At the end of the chapter we have Judas going out and giving them a plan and between those two bookends, if you like, of this interesting story, we have this beautiful demonstration of devotion, of love, of affection for Christ, for Jesus by this woman. As we know from the Gospel, it was Passover time in Jerusalem and it was a busy, busy time in Jerusalem. Normally the city, we would estimate, had about 60,000 people living in it. During the Passover, there may have been as many as 300,000 people in the city. And it's a time where the Jews celebrated that time when they were released from slavery in Egypt. And so you can just imagine as they were walking the streets of Jerusalem, rubbing shoulders with their Roman oppressors, there would have been mumblings about the fact that here we are under this reign, this rule of a foreign country again, just as our ancestors were and maybe there'll be a liberation. And so there was this tension going on through this time. And I'm guessing the Romans would have been quite nervous and anxious about that. And even the religious leaders were nervous and anxious about that too. They wanted to arrest Jesus, but do it quietly, lest there be a riot. And then in Mark chapter 14, we have this story unfolding, this beautiful story while Jesus was at a home in Bethany, he was probably staying there in Bethany because there was no room in Jerusalem. Every place up there had been taken. But of course, Bethany was one of the, uh, the last places on the pilgrim road from Jericho heading up to Jerusalem. Uh, it was a home, we're told, that was owned by Simon the leper. We don't know much about Simon the leper other than it was his home. We don't know whether Jesus had healed him. We don't know whether Jesus had a relationship with him. Uh, we don't know whether he was just the owner of the house. But while Jesus was there, a woman came in and anointed him with oil. Now, outside the Gospel of Mark, we actually learn a little bit about this woman. We learn that her name is Mary. She's well known to Jesus. And that's rather interesting that Mark doesn't tell us that. His story doesn't give us that little bit of extra information. You might like to reflect on why Mark chose not to do that. Perhaps he wants the story to focus on what she did, not so much on who she was. And we don't really know why uh, this woman anointed Jesus. Did she do it out of thankfulness for what he'd done for her family? Perhaps she did. Perhaps uh, she did it as a symbolic action of anointing a king. It was very common in ancient times for kings to be anointed. And in that case, if that had been the case um, here, we can read that uh, and perhaps agree that that is possible, but you've got to admit it's a kind of strange anointing, isn't it, when you think about how this happens. An anointing would normally happen uh, in a context of great pomp and ceremony, but here we have Jesus being anointed 
uh, by a woman in the home of a leper. That's a very strange kind of a king that we've got going on there. And perhaps she anointed Jesus because she recognised him as the Messiah. Perhaps she anointed Jesus just out of her desire to honour him and uh, express her love for him. We don't know why that happened. Jesus does say to us that uh, she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. So there was something prophetic in what she did. But we don't know whether she knew that or not. But what... Ever her reasons for anointing Jesus, her act stands in stark contrast to the actions of those uh, going on all around her. If you go back to uh, chapter 12, for instance, and we haven't spoken about that in our series, but back in chapter 12 we have the story of a poor widow who gave everything that she has and it's contrasted with the teachers of the law who devoured widows' houses. And in this chapter we have a picture of a woman who gives generously in contrast to the disciple who went out afterwards and sold his master for a few pieces of silver. And the rest of the disciples saw what was going on and the scripture doesn't convey really well what happened. It says in our English translation that they were indignant. You know the Greek actually says they snorted like horses. That's a great expression, isn't it? They snorted like horses. They were so indignant. They rebuked her. But Jesus responded in a rather strange manner. He said, the poor will always be with you. In other words, there'll always be people around you to be helped and you need to do that. But I won't always be with you. She's done a beautiful thing. She has, in fact, prepared my body for burial. I don't know what the disciples would have thought in response to that. They didn't understand what was coming. She was prepared to do something way out of the ordinary, something unusual, something exuberant something she cared not about what others thought about back in the days when i was teaching in school there were some quite difficult children to teach and it might surprise you to know which ones were the hardest it was not the ones who'd come from difficult home situations they had some struggles it was not those who came from difficult social backgrounds they had some struggles it was not even those who perhaps came with some learning difficulties and some other contextual issues the most difficult ones to teach were the ones who wouldn't take risks. They were the ones who said, oh no, this is too hard, I don't want to try it. I had one young man once who actually broke down in class when I asked him to do quite a simple task. He, just, he wouldn't attempt anything unless he knew he could get it right. The hardest ones to teach were the ones that wouldn't try something in case they failed. And yet as I look at this story of the anointing of this woman, I see a woman who was prepared to step out in faith and do something she'd never done before and was not at all concerned about the consequences or what other people thought. A person who was prepared the very real possibility of being ridiculed for doing something that she believed she needed to do. You know what she poured out there perhaps was a family heirloom. It was nard, it was a an extract from a root that comes from a plant grown in India. This is not something that she just nicked down to coals and picked up the day before, you know, before there was a restriction on buying two jars of nard. She just grabbed, no, this was significant. This was an amazing act of devotion. And we don't know for sure why she did it. There might have been any number of reasons, but the point of this story, or one of the points of this story, is that she was prepared to give the most valuable thing she had 
to our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. And in the context of the Gospel of Mark, and Mark's been driving at this point time and time again, answering the question, who is Jesus? He's the anointed King. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And perhaps one of the things that we can take away from this passage, apart from recognising again that others too are looking at Jesus and pointing to who he is as the Christ, as the Messiah, is this devotion that was expressed by this woman. And I find that quite challenging too because there are times where God might ask us to do things that causes us to step out of our comfort zones. And we'll throw up our hands and say, oh, that's too hard, God. What if, what if, you know, people might laugh at me. What if I don't get the right sort of response? What if this happens? It's challenging. But there are times where God says, I want you just to do something simple. You know, this week in our newsletter, I've put a little challenge out there. Uh, Let me just address that for a few moments. Take the opportunity every day to ring one person in your network, not necessarily the people that you normally catch up with coffee with or whatever, but somebody else just... Connect with somebody else. Oh, that's hard to do. How do I do that? Have a go. We can do that as part of our devotion to Christ. Sometimes we have to be prepared to forego the things that we've held fast to. Over this past couple of weeks, uh, Matt and I and a number of others have given a whole lot of thought to what does it mean not to be able to meet in the gathered congregation like we normally do. And I guess in some senses there's a temptation to try and re-grab some of that ground and do online stuff even as best we can to replicate what we do here on a Sunday morning. But I wonder whether God might not be actually saying to us, sometimes there are other things you need to let go, traditions, practices, things we've become very familiar with, things that are valuable to us, good things, because God wants us to do something else god wants us to express ourselves as a community in some other way and so the question again today really is this am i prepared to do something extravagant for god i've shared before how on an occasion many years ago i was challenged by this question you know am i prepared to say yes to jesus and in that moment the answer was yes and let me tell you If you're prepared to say yes to Jesus whenever he asks you to go on some sort of adventure, you are never going to have a boring life. Let me tell you that from experience. You will never have a boring life. Giving our energies and our passion and our resources to Christ is never a loss. It's easy to become super cautious and conservative in our walk with the Lord and and when we do that, we hardly leave any room for him to work. That when somebody dreams the big dreams of what God might be doing through our community, when God lays on us a a dream, what can God do if we say, yes, the, the world's the limit, really? It's so easy to say, no, it's always easy to say it's too hard. It's always easy to say, like Moses, I just can't do it, you know, I'll find someone else. But then I wonder if we look back in 10 or 20 or 30 years and ask that question, I wonder what could have happened if I'd said yes. What a beautiful story this is of a woman who didn't care about what others thought, who didn't care about the cost, didn't care about what it meant for others, but for her was prepared to express her devotion to Christ in such a meaningful way. The school that I went to many, many years ago had a bronze cast of William Carey, 
missionary to India, one of the first Protestant missionaries. They call him the father of modern, the modern mission movement. Try saying that three times quickly. And Carey used to sit there with a very serious look on his face and as schoolboys from time to time, we used to pop those little chupa chups in his bronze formed mouth. I know that was fairly sacrilegious. But under Carey, and this is possibly one of the things that has stayed with me apart from the chupa chups, there was a, 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 some words attributed to him where he said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Because sacrificial devotion to God is never a risk, it's actually an investment that brings an enormous return. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this woman's story, for we recognise in the words of Christ that were spoken, that these words have been spoken truly. Whenever the story of Jesus is told, her story will be told too. Whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. We see in her, Lord, an example of someone who was prepared to give without counting the cost, who was prepared to act without worrying about the consequences, who was mindful only of walking in obedience and not... Uh, considerate of the rebukes or the judgment of others and Father we pray for that kind of courage we pray for that kind of attitude in our uh, commitment to your mission here in the world Father as too we come closer and closer to Easter as this story that we've been following through the, Mar uh, the Gospel of Mark draws towards its conclusion grant to us we pray fresh understanding, fresh uh, uh, insights into who you are, what you are doing and what you're calling us to do. For this passage points to Jesus the Messiah, this passage points to Jesus the Messiah who is alive, this passage points to Jesus the Messiah who works through us and so we give you thanks that you want, to learn, uh, you want us to learn and grow in the things of you. We give you thanks again for your word today and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, let me say once again what a joy it has been for us to be able to bring our service of worship to you from the Wodongran District Baptist Church over the next few days, uh, Easter on Good Friday and on Easter Sunday. We'll also have some material available for you to uh, participate with us in worship. Let me echo Matt's uh, appreciation too to the radio station 98.5 The Light who have been partnering with us in making this available to some of the folks in our community who listen in. A number of our folks have taken advantage of that and we are so grateful for that. So may you have a blessed day and uh, thank you again for joining us. If you're following the study notes, let me encourage you to make use of those from our website. Uh, for those of you who are receiving our newsletters, let me keep in touch with you that way and please feel free to feedback material so that we might continue to encourage one another. May God bless you through this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.